Uh, so this is chat I had with Andy Nairn. So Andy is CEO and co-founder of Lucky Generals uh, in London. He is a fellow Scot and the author of Go Luck Yourself, uh, his new book, uh, which is coming out uh, in June. Uh, I understand available for pre-order now, and I've put links uh, to the pre-order in the description uh, of the show. So I talk with Andy a bit about uh, football, uh, as is uh, you know when you're Scottish, then that's kind of the first thing you do. You get the sort of uh, sense of who people are by talking about. Oh, I already knew who Andy was. I knew he was a Celtic uh, fan, and obviously Aberdeen supporter, but. Um, we have something in common. We both hate Rangers, so uh, you know we're off to a good start. So, Andy talks about uh, about about the book. Uh, we got a few of the examples of the things in the book. Fantastic book, by the way. Uh, recommend that you pre-order it uh, now. Forty chapters, each of them uh, a little example of some of the the principles of uh, basically making how to make your own luck, how to take advantage of fortunate situations. Um, we talk about, uh, there's a, a great one, the great little stories in the book about Yorkshire tea, uh, which is a firm favourite around here. Uh, so we like that one. And he talks about how he got into advertising, starting his own agency and taking advantage of little bits of luck uh, that came his way. Anyway, an hour of uh, very interesting conversation we totally forgot to do the the desert island discs bit so no music in this this one but he says he's going to come back later and then we'll do that one so coming up uh andy nairn uh, just a couple of little bits before we get into that conversation on the off chance anyone out there is looking for a podcast to sponsor we are accepting sponsorship uh, uh proposals uh yeah, so anyway, without further ado, Andy Nairn, go look yourself. How's it going? Not too bad, thank you very much. Not as, you know, I suppose it's not going great for anyone these days, is it? But it's sort of I'm hanging on in there. Yeah, yeah. The, um, so, I mean, just before we hit record, we were sort of contrasting our sort of current lockdown experiences. So I think that the, there's a perception in the outside world that Australia is free and easy. But I was, I was telling you, I think it looks like we're going to get locked down again. So this will be like... I'm losing count now. I don't know if it's three or four uh, times they've done this, but um, but yeah, but we don't have any vaccines out here yet. They're talking about the end of February, so um, I think we're the sort of uh, the only continent in the world that hasn't vaccinated anyone. Yeah. Mm, that's that's amazing. I mean, we're just mm. a very different situation over here. We, but yes, we've all been looking enviously, maybe wrongly, but yeah. over at your part of the world and. Um, uh, it's in full swing the vaccine at the moment here that's yeah. the, the one thing that has gone perhaps a wee bit better than could have uh, we could have hoped you know, yeah. but not yeah. so well I was, I, I was talking to my mum in Scotland uh, the other night so she's she's had her her first uh, first one and then she goes back in April I think for the for the second one same as mine. She's had hers up in Scotland, and she's been right. back in April. Yes, yeah. but at least it's good there, sort of getting involved. Yeah. So listen, it's good to have you know a, a fellow uh, fellow Scot to talk to because uh, it doesn't happen. There's a lot of English out here, not so many, and, and Irish don't really bump into yes. Scottish people. But even though. Uh, uh, you know, we should say that we we support different uh, football teams, but we have, I guess, we have a couple of things in common. Uh, w- one, which is both of our teams have uh, spectacularly 
let the Huns walk away with the title this year, it looks like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. anything outrageous happens. We can and, but hope. We can yeah. only I feel I fear that that's beyond any divine intervention now. Yeah. You gotta say fair play to them, you know, for a club that didn't yeah. didn't exist nine years ago, you know, and they've come from nowhere to be on the verge of claiming their first ever title. Exactly. That's that, that's exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think Aberdeen, Aberdeen and Celtic. We I don't, I don't think we particularly like each other, but we do have a common enemy, which kind of brings us together. You know, yeah. that's right. I remember going to Pitodry and we used to chant at the Celtic fans. We used to say, "We hate Rangers more than you." you that's know? right. So, I remember <laughs> that. I mean, there was it really sort of took off that in the yeah. um, I think we probably still have. You know, bragging rights over that particular dimension, <laughs> but you certainly can't get up a notch or two. Um, yeah. What, what's, your, what's your view on the Lennon situation? I mean, is it a blip? Do you think they should stick with him, or, or has he run out of ideas? Uh, it's a real shame. It's a ter- it's one of these classic football situations where I I do feel sorry for him up to a point because he's obviously been through an awful lot. If anyone is listening, that's not really understand that situation. Is that the Celtic managers? Had a lot of um, you know terrible uh, stuff over the years. You know mm. everything, you know bombs and bullets and yeah. assault was another terrible thing. Um, so on that human level, feel bad for him. But I sort of wish he would go for his sake and for the club's sake because he's not. He's just in that position where he's not doing a good job now. He's not the right man for the club, yeah. and it would be better for him and his legacy if he sort of left. Um, it's a horrible thing about football, isn't it? Your heroes often end up. You know, um, yeah. not being so heroic in your eyes um, yeah. because they all come a cropper. Well, exactly. I mean, at Aberdeen, we had Willie Miller, you know, who's like the most legendary yeah. player ever, who was flop flop as a manager, really. Yeah. And, then, and then Mark McGee, again, he came back. What a disaster. I think his first game in charge, we got beaten 9 0 by you lot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, return, returns are never really, you know, really all that good in, in football circles. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so what what we're going to principally talk about is is your new book, right? Which we'll we'll come to that in a minute. But I thought there is some sort of context around that, so I thought it'd be it'd be interesting because to, just to get a sense of of your own sort of journey, you know, into um, you know, I think uh, you know certainly for people that you know, I think we're probably roughly of the same generation mm. it, it wasn't a very scottish thing to do uh, to sort of you know go to london and get into into advertising um t- tell us a little bit about how about your sort of you know when did your interest first get peaked and uh, and you thought this is what i want to do well, it's a bit of a fluke really so I, I grew up in the borders which um is in the middle of nowhere really so it's the opposite end of country from you as you know yeah um you know, it's, it's literally just over the border from England, so uh, it's very quiet, unassuming sort of uh, place. You know, the, the sort of opposite of London. It's very sort of um, down to earth and unpretentious, and you know, um, yeah. Uh, and so the you know very far from the bright lights of Soho and advertising and stuff like that. And and so I did it. I did law at Edinburgh just because I sort of didn't really know what I wanted to study, and I mm. loved the law course. I loved sort of solving problems, and um, you know you know uh developing sort of strategies of advocacy i guess um for a particular brief or a cause um but i kind of knew i didn't really want to be a lawyer because i sort of i could already see that that looked like it would be quite a corporate world mm-hmm. uh, and so i confided in a teacher and this was this is my big absolute stroke of luck this um i spoke to uh, I had a real favorite teacher it was very good fun a tutor um who was a guy called alexander McCall Smith, and now he's now one of the best-selling authors in the world. I mean, he's he's. Is that the uh, d- detective agency? Right. Uh, blah blah blah. Yeah. Whatever it was. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he sold tens of millions. Uh, I mean, I think yeah. just one series alone has sold about sixty odd million. So that's um, quite a lot more than my books. I, I fear is uh, going to sell, but um, well, that's a lot was, more than was, any any book is going to sell. I mean, that's Harry yeah. Potter esque. He's in, he's in that league in a very nice sort of way, but he was a lovely. I mean, he's a sort of a ridiculously, you know, multi-talented man. He was a so he was a, obviously a law lecturer. He designed yeah. a couple 
constitutions for various African countries because he'd, he'd grown up in Africa. Right. Um, and, then he'd, and then he'd moved into medical jurisprudence, you know, which is like, we have to be very clever to do that because obviously you need to understand medicine and the law. Um, anyway, he was just like one of these, despite all those incredible talents and the fact that he was just starting to write as a bit of a sideline that then turned out to be a quite a big sideline. Um, he was very, he was just a lovely, lovely person. And he sort of took me under his wing and he said, if you don't, if you like those things about um, the law, you know, you like constructing an argument, but you think it is going to be too corporate for you, have you ever thought about advertising? Because I've got a, a friend that would give you a cup of coffee and have a bit of a chat about it if you fancied. Mm. And I'd literally never thought about it before, but he put me in touch with this mate of his. We had a coffee. And then I didn't do anything about it right then because um, I was still sort of studying. But mm. when when I graduated, that's what I set off to do with mm. complete naivety about really what it involved. But I did like the sound of um, what this nice guy had sort of uh, told yeah. me about it. So who, who, who was his mate? You know, you're probably going to say, oh, it's this guy called Bill Barenbach or something. Only just remember, I remember um, Nicole Smith, but not him. I think he was a guy called Simon, and okay. he was uh, at the Leith Agency in Edinburgh, okay. which was yeah. a really good agency at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, it just seemed, the, the story he painted of it was, it was just... Seemed sounded quite exciting and sort of yeah. creative, and uh, and it's turned out to be really true. It's one of those things when you look back and think, yeah, that is kind of what we do. I guess yeah. we sort of take all the evidence and we put a client's best case forward, um, uh, and you know, hopefully, don't end up in court. Um, yeah, absolutely. I I gotta say, I mean, it kind of jumped the shark a little bit, but the first two or three seasons of Suits, you know, with the Oh, Harvey, yeah. Harvey Specter. I just used to sit there with my notebook open, just scribbling down, uh, you know, Harvey's kind of one-liners and, and using them, you know, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, because he was, uh, you know, it was, you know, he was good at sort of selling strategy. You know, yeah, I thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So I must have a failed or sort of um, not attempted lawyer. That's that's my yeah. backstory, really. And that was well, because I was going to say, what was your what you know, uh, obviously, because the the book is called Go Luck Yourself, and um, you know it's forty ways uh, that luck can stack the odds in your in your favour. But that so that really was a a, a, a fortunate sort of introduction uh, yeah. that you got there. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's sort of the truth, isn't it? In life, I mean, I'm sure you've had plenty of the same where you uh that things happen i mean i guess yeah. you've got to be uh optimistic or put you know, have the right mindset to take advantage yeah. of the opportunity but it's yeah. definitely luck plays a part i think it'd be foolish to deny that yeah absolutely just i i just finished reading the malcolm mclaren biography by paul Gorman. Oh, wow. i think it is yeah and there's a, there's a story about uh, McLaren. So young McLaren, this is before he had the shop or anything, but he was just yeah. he was just a sort of uh, guy about town, and he'd got this handmade blue uh, lame suit made. Uh, yeah. He'd spent every penny he had on this suit, and he said he'd, he'd got it made. And he just walked up and down the King's Road wearing the Amazing. suit because uh, yeah. he said something was bound to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just by that's looking good. like that. Put yourself in that situation. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and they say it did because uh, basically he uh, he bumped into uh, uh, or someone bumped into him uh, who had the who owned the shop at four thirty Kings Road, which eventually became, you know, <laughs> let, let it rock and sex and everything, and uh, and and gave him the keys and said, "I'm I'm going away for a few months. Uh, can you look after the shop?" And the guy gave him the keys, and then he never came back. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yeah, well, if you're going to do a volume two, uh, you know that's probably a, a yeah. tale that can that can go. Yeah, in yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So um, before we get into, we're not going to go go through the whole book because also we want people to buy it. So uh, you know, hmm. I've, I've picked out a few uh, a few of the little stories that I think probably translate well to you talking them through. 
but cool. uh, but the uh, so one of the nice things is you are contributing uh, royalties uh, or whatever money the book makes to an organization called Commercial Break. So do you want to tell us a little bit about about that? Because I hadn't heard of this before, but it's quite a, uh, I think in, in the current, you know, climate, uh, I think it's quite it's quite an interesting step that you've Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's basically, they're a really good organisation. So they're a um, social enterprise in, um, in the UK that exists to help working class kids get a, I suppose, a lucky break into the industry and then helps them stay there. Um, because obviously it's not just a matter of getting in, it's obviously do they feel welcome, can they thrive? And so they work with agencies and you know companies to sort of help support them while they're there and so on. But um, it just really appealed to me, especially because I was, you got to imagine I was writing this last year at a time when we were probably all feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves. I certainly was at various times and, you know, we all had our ups and downs. And in one of the downs, I was, you know, uh, just thinking, God, this is, pretty bleak isn't it and then I just sort of realized well no actually there's loads of people that are miles worse off than you and you know you've had a nice long career in this industry and done well out of it and you're sort of insulated from a lot of the bad stuff that's going on in the world right now so um why don't you instead of sort of feeling sorry for yourself why don't you do something that could sort of benefit people who um haven't had your sort of good fortune and um I think it's tough for kids at the moment in particular who are from that kind of background trying to get and it's always tough getting into the, our industry which is annoying and we should change it but it's probably even worse right now isn't it because yeah. the, you know there's a few jobs around sort of things so yeah. if you help them a, a little bit I'll be very sort of um, pleased yeah because I think you know it was, it's a kind of interesting step because obviously you know the conversation for the last few years has been, been about you know which groups you know, are are most underrepresented, and then and mm. you know, and gender pay gaps and all this kind of stuff. But the elephant in the room is is exactly that. It's like there's a particular class of mm. people, uh, regardless of their gender or color or, or anything, that are that generally that make up you know the graduates and people that come in uh, into the business. But really, it's uh, you know, given that most products and services are bought by ordinary working people, you know, if you if you take yeah, that yeah, that, that rep logic of representation, then there should be there should be far more working class. Uh, it's uh, been people. forgotten about. You're right. It's been yeah. one of the. Uh, it's been left off the, you know, agenda, and and yet all the other um, things that we are very rightly, absolutely, you know, should be um, worried about ultimately a lot of them can be traced back to or certainly have a lot of um you know uh, intersections with with class so it seemed like something yeah. that would be good and, and then i suppose i had sort of a, a little bit of a family connection with it we not that i was sort of brought up in a working class background really but my parents were and they and they talked a lot about how lucky they had been despite having so my mum for instance was um she was one of 12 kids. She was the youngest wow. of 12 kids. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Her, her, uh, absolutely. Although it turned out to be really good for her because she was, so she was the youngest of 12. Her dad was a coal miner. Her brothers were coal miners and her sisters were all like, you know, sort of, it worked in factories and so on. But because she was the youngest, that turned out to be brilliant for her because they sort of encouraged her to stay on at school. They'd all, you know, were all working by that stage. Right. And they sort of treat her as the little pet, you know, the baby. Yeah. And so they encouraged her to stay in school, and she went to university. She was the first kid to go to university, and and did languages and became a teacher. So she always grew up with this sort of sense that she had been very lucky. Yeah. Other people and all the rest of it. Um, and then my dad was sort of the opposite. He was a single child of a single mum, and uh, you know his dad had quite a lot of problems and been in the care system and stuff like that, and didn't really a big part in his life so he had the opposite he was on his own sort of thing and had to leave school at 14 um to sort of get some money and all the rest of it but he thought that that was really lucky even though it's the opposite you know yeah. he grew up thinking that was a really lucky thing for him because it sort of forced him to stand his own two feet and you know make his yeah. way in life and ended up getting a little news agent so anyway without giving you all my boring sort of family 
biology uh, um, you know sort of story I, yeah. I think that is that sort of I grew up with two parents that bred in me a sort of a sense that you you know everyone's got stuff to give and that we should all consider ourselves very lucky you know in you know our circumstances there's always somebody worse off than us and and sort of look after the people on the way up and all that kind of sort of stuff so yeah it's kind of influenced me over the years i suppose yeah one of the i mean one of the sort of key because you you in the, in the book you break it down into uh, sort of four or, or, or five sections, I think it's four. But but the first one is exactly that. It's you know one of the ways to 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 get lucky or be fortunate is to appreciate what you've got. And, and that I mean the, yeah. the, the stories you've told there is very much the sort of uh, you know it's it's acceptance of the situation and, and just getting yeah. the best the best out of it uh, that you can. Yeah. I think that's great, isn't it? Because it's sort of yeah. I mean that's really the thrust of the book is is to take a lot of a lot of this stuff that's well established now in literature about individuals so there's a huge psychology now and a huge scientific body of evidence that says if you're grateful and you know if you practice sort of you know um being mindful and you know grateful about the things that you have then you're you know more likely to be happy and, yeah. and even you know physically you know more healthy and stuff like that but if you then apply it to organizations i think that's the same because a lot of organizations you know, which are after all just groups of individuals, so you can yeah. see why it would work, are, are sort of not, don't realize how many amazing things they've got. I'm sure you've worked with lots of, you know, companies and organizations where they don't realize what they're sitting on. They could be sitting on an amazing gold mine of yeah. Yeah. You know, data, or they might have a great name or a great backstory, yeah. but because they're so familiar with it, they don't realize it. And it's take someone like, you know, you know, from our world, to yeah. go in and say, "What you've never talked about this fact before? That's yeah. that's gold cool. dust. You need to make that, um, you know, famous on the outside." So, yeah, uh, you know, I think a lot of our task, in some ways, is just helping organisations appreciate all these great things that yeah. they've inherited, almost. Yeah, or just help them see what they've already got. Mm. Uh, I can't remember if you mentioned this, and I don't. You, you don't mention this, but there's the. Uh, I think there's another famous example is the. Um, was it Trevor Beatty who who pointed out to French Connection uh, that at the, he, he noticed he was in the office somewhere and all the faxes mm-hmm. that came through had FC UK on the top and then oh, that, that's right yes. yeah and that became the, the the campaign you know and so you know thousands of people were looking at that every day and nobody saw it and then yeah one I person mean, saw it yeah. that takes and I think that's a that's a great example it's not in the book damn should have put no. that one in <laughs> Um, uh, so another one for volume two yeah yeah that's right it needs to keep some some spare material up my sleeve but um that is great because it proves the point that um so you could dismiss that and say well that was just lucky then our fluke but i think and you know usually in our culture we use in the west certainly use like luck as a sort of an insult don't we but um that took someone to to spot it and to realize and seize the opportunity i mean the other great example is um John Hegarty walking around the factory, the Volkswagen factory, and seeing the, the poster with Boris Broom do it yeah, on right. a walk. Yeah. Um, and sort of realizing, well, first of all, asking, you know, what does that mean? I suppose it's yeah. sort of progress through technology. Yeah. Um, and then having the sort of amazing genius to not just translate that, you know, um, but yeah. to keep it in the original language, despite a yeah. lot of research that would be disastrous. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a brilliant. That's what the sort of luck I'm talking about, where you sort of yeah. there's a, a happy accident, but that you are, you know, you're attuned to seizing those happy accidents and making more of them. I think that's what yeah. the trade has to do. The the, the um, that Borsprung technique is funny because I was thinking about that the other day. I'm trying I'm trying to write something at the moment. It's it's half formed, but it's kind of it's it's about memorable. Uh, um, uh, more memorable sort of words or logos and things mm. and it's those kind of hard consonants you know like t's and mm. k's that uh, you know i've got this kind of uh it's based on a R- richard dawkins who wrote this thing about uh old lang syne you know because people say mm. sing for the sake of old lang syne no it's not you know that word mm. has just slipped in 
but mm. but it, it's become a bit of a meme because of the k sound and the consonant, you know. And so you wonder yeah. if like Vorsprung durch Technik, it's got a lot of those hard consonants, and, and so that's yeah, why yeah. it's it's memorable, even if it's in a different language, you know, because yeah. it's like it's a catchphrase uh, in, in Britain, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it was a little interesting interlude there for the science uh, boffins that are listening. Was... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so well, we're starting to build up uh, to get into a couple of bits about the, the book. Now, what what I did notice because I've because I uh, I read things that you write in the trade press, so you write for campaign mostly, mm. yeah. and things have popped up in other places. When I did my first book and the, and the second one to agree they were made up of the not totally but based around maybe three or four articles or something that I'd written somewhere else mm. and, and I sort of put them together and thought oh, that kind of makes sense and then wrote around them but uh, but when I when I read uh, Go Luck Yourself I thought I actually I don't recall reading any of this anywhere else so it seems to have been you haven't pulled that in from any of your other writing have you That's, was it all done in in sort of one, one that chunk. Mostly, there might be things, there's a few themes, I guess, I've, I've talked about. Right. And there might be the odd uh, story that I've repurposed a little bit. But yeah, um, uh, yeah no, I'm, I, I guess, I, and being a big fan of your writing too, I sort of I like, I, I, it's been nice to sort of write short chapters. Yeah. You know, I know that nobody's got time to read everything all in one setting so it's sort of um and and you people want it to be light and you know entertaining hopefully yeah. rather than all dry and academic so um a bit like you I sort of pepper it with um you know music science sport all sorts of other yeah. uh things which is which which then makes it more interesting also to write because you have to research some of these things you yeah. know that you I mean what you know all about yourself but and it's more autobiographical but it's uh, it's fun to go off and find out about um, I don't know architecture in Zimbabwe or something like that, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, you go down. So that's what kept me going for, again during the sort of slightly more dark yeah. moment, two thousand and twenty. Yeah, but the, but for me the sort of um, you know I try and do this in a small way as well. But the implicit lesson there, you know, particularly for young, you know, planners or or creatives, is to is that you can find inspiration you know you're only limited by how far you're prepared to look you know because it can it can come in from anywhere so many uh, i do a bit of teaching as well and like some of the the um students are seem quite myopic quite narrow in in where they think their ideas are going to come from you know from just they just want to read business books or theories yeah. about uh, strategy and it's like no you've got to read you know biographies and kind yeah. of uh, you know read about stuff that you don't know anything about you know because then yeah i definitely agree with that even though it's, it's a funny thing for me to say because i'm i've got a i suppose what is in some ways a business book i don't really like, really like to think of it that way but i guess it is and 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 here i'm saying don't read business books but oh, it's, it's um, a it's a book for for business people yeah but i yeah. think but but you're kind of doing the hard work for them by going out yeah. into the world of finding sort of uh you know uh yeah stuff from culture and stuff like that yeah, yeah. I, and i think that is i think that's a particular problem at the moment I, I don't know if you've felt this but because obviously things are difficult there's a natural sort of human tendency to sort of um retreat a little bit into your own you know, sort of uh, sector, your own company, or you know, uh, your own discipline, or whatever, and and sort of not be aware of some of the interesting stuff, you know, that is going on around you in the periphery, yeah. and you know, and again, that's you know, when we look at the psychology of luck, that is where a lot of the great discoveries come. It's when somebody's sort of um, you know attending to one task but notices something out the corner of their eye. Um, you know, it's the classic uh, Alexander Fleming, you know, uh, story, isn't it, with the petri dishes on the windowsill, <laughs> and you or I probably would have been absolutely would have just like, ah, oh, no, there's some mold on the 
scrape it off or wash it off but it requires somebody that knows what they're doing to sort of spot it and realize yeah. well hold on a second that could be applied over here um exactly yeah. and science I, I feel like science is like really um sort of a bit of a bugbear of mine science is really sort of uh comfortable with that sort of uh discovery you know yeah so many of the great you know i mean viagra is another famous example isn't it where they were sort of searching for yeah, because it was for something else, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. A, heart, a heart disease thing, and then the, the, some of the doctors started noticing a very unusual uh, <laughs> side, effects. side effect. But again, rather than just sort of laughing at that down at the sort of uh, medical club, uh, you know, somebody sort of realised, yeah. oh, well, that could that, that could be put to use over here. And yeah. whereas whereas we in our world, I feel, you know, look down on discoveries, you know, pure discoveries like that, because. We are sort of all taught as planners, you know, you know, a lot of sensible reasons to work methodologically through a problem. Yeah. We go from the business channel to the brand and the communication and all the rest of it. And then and then the idea comes at the end. If we, we're not supposed to just find an idea and then think, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that could and then work backwards. But I think that can if that's the way it happens, I think that we should embrace the idea have a think about it even though you weren't necessarily looking for it or it's popped up in a different place yeah. um, and i think that should be perfectly fine that we should we should treat it like that pet tradition thing oh that could be quite interesting yeah um, you know that's that's the thing you know key skill of, of a of a good planner is just noticing things you know yeah uh, yeah and uh and then writing them down you know no, no, nothing sort of comes from nothing you have to you know yeah get some sort of uh yeah Input. I was going. I was going to ask you because know, going. Um, so this, this is uh, not necessarily my my point of view, but this is the kind of thing some people might say, which is, and there's a lot of because a lot of the examples of 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 kind of happy accidents and all that stuff that you give uh, in the book. How you know how much do you think that the luckiness is is only sort of uh, becomes apparent after the fact um yeah. or, can, or can you or can you predict uh, you know i can i think you can increase your chances of it um i think that yeah, it's that classic it's a numbers game you've got to sort of put yourself in more situations so the thing we've just been talking about so surrounding yourself with diverse stimuli that 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 massively increases your yeah. chances of a happy accident you know um if you have a very insular life you're probably not going to get so many of those chan chances um, yeah. and then of course you can just spot it and realize the significance of it and apply it to whatever um the task is um so well you can't always i don't think you can predict when it's gonna happen you can over the long run on average um increase your chances of it yeah. happening if that makes sense um and i think that's what the best companies do you know the best companies set themselves up in such a way that the happy accidents aren't just accidents you know they they're they try and increase their odds of making that happen so whether that's by configuring the building in a particular way so there's lots of uh cross fertilization of different disciplines you know you know apple's yeah. building famously encouraged people to mix in sort of in different departments yeah. um, or they might be they might have a separate department that is set up to sort of um deliberately set to set up to smash ideas from different places together um yeah. or you know that they might have but they might be incentivized to spend a day a week like a lot of companies in silicon valley at the moment yeah. um to, to just work on sort of um, private passion things all, all of those things are ways to try and game the system a little bit in, in terms of your favor it won't guarantee that every day you come into work and something incredible happens but it should boost your chances of that happening yeah i don't know what it's like in, in the uk but i've uh you know, occasionally over the last few years worked with some of the big banks here, you know, as, as clients and you go yeah. into their headquarters and it is like walking into Silicon Valley, you know, it's a bank. So the nature yeah. of their work hasn't changed. You know, yeah. they're still just, you know, doing stuff with spreadsheets, but the, but they've, uh, you know, that's what they've done. They've created these environments to look like startup hubs and, and you know and there's bean bags everywhere and, and all that kind of stuff you know to try so you know i'm guessing that's they're hoping to that some you know 
you know, if they throw enough of that at it, you know, you just need one little innovative spark and then all of a sudden you've got a category busting product or whatever. So I guess they're yeah. hoping that that's gonna gonna start to Yeah. And I think you have to obviously have the um you have to have the culture, you know, it's got to run deep, doesn't it? It's got to be a genuine sort of mm. desire to sort of um you know push the boundaries and mix yeah. things up. And of course, you know, there's, there's equally plenty of companies that don't have any of those sort of affectations, if you like, of creativity um, right. and are hugely successful because they've really, they deliver in a sort of, a, you know, in a, in a sort of more profound sort of cultural way that they are just interested in, you know, sparking, you know, lighting fires all over the place. Yeah. Um, yes, I don't, I'm, I'm not one to sort of overemphasize the sort of superficial aspects of that sort of thing, but I think around the margins, they can help if you, you know, anything you can do to help people feel in a feel like they're in a situation where they are, they, they, they can come up with interesting ideas and, mm -hmm. um, you know, spark ideas off each other, then mm -hmm. that's going to be helpful, I think. Um, you don't I have to just, I think yeah, that's but... the thing, you, gotta, you, you can, you can, you can, um, I guess, yeah, you can hardwire the, you know, things so that they're in your favour. I think that's, that's really the theme yeah. of the book. Yeah, but I know what you mean, because a lot of it seems like window dressing, you know, cause yes. it's, because really, you know, there's not, uh, you know, people are actually not encouraged to take risks, really, or, That's or, right. or anything, you know. and there might be one or two weirdos that they put in a back room and say, right, you mm -hmm. you do the innovation. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, I wanted to ask you about Yorkshire Tea, because, uh, you know, I know, um, you know, 100% brand loyalty is pretty rare, um, mm. but I would say in our house, um, well, certainly me, you know, if, uh, if, you know, if anyone comes back from the supermarket with Tetley's or something, I'm not happy mm. uh, because, you know, and I say, if you want variety, well, you can have basic Yorkshire, you can have the purple one, you know, or you can have Yorkshire gold, yeah. you know, so, there you go, that's a choice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but you've got your little sort of uh, provenance kind of story there, and it ties in what we're talking about, about FC UK and Vorsprung Dirk techniques. So you've got your yeah. own moment uh, yeah, that's, that's similar yeah. to that. Do you want to tell yeah, us that story? It's another one of these, uh, you know, why the factory visit can be important. So we, we've we been working with UHT for a number of years, um, and when we first went up to their factory in Harrogate, uh, we did the usual sort of tour around. We were quite taken by a sign on their wall, which was... Um, it simply said at that point, it said, we, we do things proper. Um, <laughs> like quite a nice sort of quality assurance statement from, yeah. uh, uh, you know, with the Yorkshire accent and all the rest of it. We do things yeah. proper. So we like that. It's like, like uh, it's like Apple, you know, cause think different. I mean, that's yeah. gr grammatically incorrect, you know, and yeah. we do things yeah. proper is grammatically incorrect as well. But. Yeah, I think a lot of um, yeah, a lot of good lines are like that. You know, got milk is another one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, work, but um, so we did this proper. Seemed like a really good thought, but we never. If I'm honest, we had one of these terrible pitches where we didn't quite crack it. Um, everything seemed to go wrong. You know, um, missing trains and you know just things that just didn't go our way. But the, eventually, the, the client, who's this amazing um, client called Dom Dwight, sort of said, "You've won. Uh, you've lost the pitch, but you've won the." business so i'm going to take a bit of a bet on you because i sort of I like the germ of what you were trying to get across there but you've not really cracked it yet but so we had a bit of a retrieve and after sort of slugging away to it a little bit longer we kind of what where we sort of got to was that that this idea of doing things proper didn't just apply to the making of the tea i mean they're, they're incredibly sort of high standards when it does come to the tea but mm. we sort of we sort of figured out that's probably going to be still a bit boring to people but what we noticed was that everything else at the company was really proper. Like even the, you know, the smiles of the um, ladies on reception, everyone, the greeting that you got mm. seemed to be just really properly and brilliant and authentically. And we sort of suddenly thought, well, maybe, maybe we don't talk about this sort of literal tea making process at all, but we we talk about all the other stuff because it's always a good sign, isn't it? If you go to a company where everything is done brilliantly. Mm. then you can imagine what the tea is made like. And so the idea became a slight corruption of what the factory poster said, but with the same spirit, it was mm. um, where everything's done proper, where everything's done proper. And it was, it was a kind of a, and then we sort of, we really sort of played on those Yorkshire roots. So we, mm. you know, where I think other brands might have been nervous about 
is Yorkshire going to be off-putting to the rest of the country because it's quite a particular part of the country and, and they want it to be a national sort of brand, they didn't want it to be mm. just for that part of the, the world. Um, but they really backed us on that and and we created a very famous campaign in the UK with actors that were from Yorkshire doing menial jobs about the about the uh, the the uh, business. You know, so we had the, the Kaiser Chiefs doing the hold music and <laughs> Michael Parkinson doing all the interviews and um, Sean Bean, you know, giving the company sort of a pep talk and all the rest of it. So it's just that you know, uh, and it's it's been a sort of a really good through the line idea that runs through everything they do, but it's got mm. this very York flavor that has still made them become the national favorite. So they're now they went they were number three when we started working, they're now they're now number one. And mm. what was a lovely thing was that the the place where the sales went up most was um, Lancashire, right. which um, <laughs> sort of, uh, if any of you know that's like the arch enemy of Yorkshire. So if yeah. you can get people in Lancashire to drink Yorkshire tea, um, that's sort of you must yeah. be doing something right. That's the that's the equivalent of uh, you know selling a Nazi car in in New York or something, wasn't it? To the yeah, to, yeah, to the yeah. Jews, yeah. Selling yeah. <laughs> Yorkshire yeah. tea to Lancashire. Yeah. It's a funny <laughs> I'm always interested in provenance because it's it's a sort of thing that you. That's a classic thing that a lot of companies don't appreciate because when you say that you you know you should leverage the fact that you come from such and such a place. They often feel a bit nervous about that because they either they don't think it's interesting because they've grown up there or they're yeah. they, they yeah. go into work there every day um or they're worried that other people won't find it interesting yeah. um, or it might be actually off-putting because that says that we're only from this part of the world um but you know as we know we we're all fascinated by other people in other places so yeah totally yeah. i was gonna i was gonna say because the um because the proper thing, I mean, that goes through onto the package as well. Because the one, uh, the uh, there's the sort of red pack, which is regular, yeah. but the one I always buy is the purple one because it's proper strong. Uh, it says so that's on the packaging out here. I don't know if it, uh, I don't know if it says it there. But I mean, that uh, when, when uh, I think they they first it first came out to Australia about five or six years ago, I was going off my nut, I'd been here four years, couldn't get a decent cup of tea, you know. And then, and then my missus came back uh, one day. She'd been to not the supermarket, but one of these kind of. They have these things called corner stores here, which are kind of like out in the sticks. It's like a big barn that sells fruit and veg and stuff. Yeah. And she came back. She said, I found Yorkshire tea in uh, in you know, this, uh, corner produce store. I was like, great. So we used to go up there, and then it appeared in the supermarkets. You know, so it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it is in the category here, but Australians are funny. They like some awful, horrible stuff, you know, and, mm -hmm. some, and, <laughs> and, and the good stuff they they reject. They're a bit suspicious of foreign things. I don't know, I don't know why. Yeah. Like uh, like IKEA and stuff. It's never really. I mean, they're here, you know, and it's like reasonably mm. popular, but there's not. You don't get IKEA riots or anything like you do in the UK. You know, when they open. Uh, them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Funny. So, uh, what I wanted to, you know, um, to ask you because what the other thing, just going through the book, that, that struck me was how many of these campaigns and brands that you talk about, uh, like Hovis and everything, you know, these are like hugely iconic things that uh, you know that everyone everyone knows. And I was thinking, wow, because it's not like it's not like you're sort of. You know john Haggerty kicking back you know at the end of your career you know you're still right in the middle of it but then it's uh do you feel any pressure to sort of live up to that sort of legacy every time you know because for uh, to still I'm be certain. going to still be going and have so many of these iconic things you know well, it's very nice to say that yes i'm certainly not in mr Haggerty's uh, or sir john's i suppose as he's in his <laughs> league um but um I think like everybody, uh, well, I certainly feel I've been, you know, again, coming back to this theme of I've been lucky to sort of work with lots of other really talented people. And um, in, in particular, I've had a, had a brilliant break um, in starting up my own agency with two friends, because lots of people talk about that in our world, don't they? But yeah. a lot of the time the planets don't align because you've got to, 
you've got to find some partners that you trust with your life and that you're going to trust with your you know, future and all the rest of it. And they've all got to want to do the same thing as you at the same time. It's quite difficult to get all that stuff to line up, but it did in our case. So, so yeah, lots of that, that success has been me riding on the coattails of uh, other people. Um, and then, um, you know, sort of, again, just put, hopefully putting yourself in a situation where yeah, you're you're in good environments where you're going to get good creative work. I've always that's that's always been my sort of desire is to I like making stuff. Yeah. Um, and I've always felt that if you make good work, that's my advice to everybody. Also, is make sure that you're making lots of good work as much as you possibly can, and then things like money and all the rest of it, and titles or whatever other things um, you might want in life, they will come to you through the work. Um, mm. but the work first. I know it sounds like a basic sort of somewhat fright thing to say, but yeah. uh, it is a mistake for a lot of people sometimes sort of, you know, take a job for more money and then find that their career actually over the long term stalls a little bit because... Um, well, well, it's the story, just... story of my life, mate, I'll tell you. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, we're, we're, all, we're all sometimes sort of uh, tempted by the filthy looker, aren't we? But um, yeah. I think... Uh, I think it's it's usually better to follow the work and other good things will happen. Yeah. So when uh, so setting up Lucky Generals, so you said you know that the the importance of of having you know people you trust for your life and stuff like that. Did that? I mean, were there any false starts there, or was that uh, you know is that just been you know again sort of stroke of good fortune that it just all clicked. Um, um, well, we were uh, we we started off with no clients. That was quite sort of terrifying because yeah. usually agents start off with a founding client to sort of bankroll them. But we yeah. we just really wanted a clean break. We'd all three of us been working together another agency, mm. which one of my partners Helen had actually started. So uh, and we'd all been part of. Um, but we sort of felt we wanted to have a fresh start. We didn't want to you know leave on bad terms and steal a client or anything like that. So. Um, we started off in an, a tiny little room with nothing and um yeah there were a few moments during that first few months when it did look a little bit um terrifying we thought what would we done maybe we should have uh, launched with a, a big client that would have been yeah. nice yeah. um but then i think again we just held our nerve a little bit and some uh good luck again came away fun enough it was from a betting company which we wouldn't have been top of our list for things to work with but there's mm. a betting company called paddy power yeah who is very sort of um, maverick um have done a lot of outrageous advertising in the uk i get now i think they own sports do they own sports bet perhaps yeah. is that the, yeah. the company yeah they, they do i'll tell you a funny story i was working with a sports but because i think i emailed you actually a few months ago yeah. because because uh, i was yeah. about to do this work and uh, i can't remember if i was asking you for Sorry, but uh, anyway, uh, I went and did, did, did the piece of work, you know, and I, uh, in in sort of showing them, you know, some examples of the tone and the kind of style that I thought was appropriate for where they were in their market. I showed them Paddy Power uh, and I showed them Sportsbet uh, from Australia uh, as well. And I was like, and I, and I was like, look, you know, uh, you know, completely other ends of the world, but the, but you know the the attitude and everything is the same and everything. And then yeah. the, the client uh, came back to me a few days later and he said, "You do know that Sportsbet is owned by Paddy Power." Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, right. oh, "Oops." They're an amazing company because, on the one hand, they're unbelievably hard-nosed. Um, you know, commercial they're bookies so um yeah. they packed full of uh, people who you know measure things and you know statistically brilliant um but on the other hand they also almost precisely because of that they know that um they have to get their salience up and and you know be in the public eye um and create a lot of noise so a lot of their work you know they had this amazing department called the mischief department you know called the head of mischief yeah. a great job and they simply exist this is another good way of setting up a lucky culture you know they exist to do crazy mad stuff that we'd spent many years sort of happily doing with them yeah. and and so that was they came our way as our first client and i think we sort of shaped in the 
So the the mischief yeah. mischief department that was within the client organization was it that was their own yeah. people yeah oh, that right. their own I mean there is there as um, creative probably more creative than most ad agencies right. I think they're a company that is all you know they really kept us on our toes and uh, you know it wasn't one of those cases where there was a huge divide between the client and the yeah. uh, and the agency they were unbelievably creative in their own right and often came up with great ideas that we then sort of um, just tweaked or found a way to bring to life yeah. in a slightly different way, but um, they were brilliant to work with. And the first thing that, that they asked us to think about was a was a campaign against homophobia in British yeah. football. Um, and and so it was just a really fun thing. It was a lot of things that we liked. It was funny and it was football. And it was a good cause. And yeah. and then we were sort of off to the races after that. So yeah, um, yeah. No, but I mean, you know, uh, because they're probably one of the most recognizable brands uh i mean it's irish uh, originally isn't it? yeah but even mm -hmm. amongst you know i think that's the the sort of litmus test you know even amongst people that would never go near a betting shop or exactly. or put a yeah. bet on they know what it is you know uh, yeah and, yeah, yeah. They, they never they always define themselves as an entertainment company that, and they would yeah. say we'll take your money but we'll give you a smile um, yeah. at the same time so you know yeah. You think of the ethics of betting. They they yeah. certainly felt that they that they were more in the business of you know yeah. they were always in the tabloids, always doing funny sort of uh, cultural sort of yeah. interesting stuff. So. Yeah, I just think many 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 years ago, I was creative director at this online gaming company. You know, it was like fixed odds yeah. games. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, casino things, stuff like that. Mm. You know, people used to say to me, how can you sleep at night when you're, you know, robbing the poor? And it's like, well, you know, these machines, these games, they pay out 97%, you know? So if you, if you stick in 10 quid, you get seven quid back, you know? So three pounds for an hour and a half's entertainment. It's cheaper yeah. than cinema, you know? So, you know, that was my, that was my post dress <laughs> The funny thing is, because you often that is a dilemma. I mean, it's a bit like you know my thing about being a lawyer before. You know, you yeah. don't, you have to sort of, you, you make your choices, I suppose, as to what you know. There'll be some things that we would definitely not um, uh, advertise, but we try to always not be too pious about it because you know we're trying to sell stuff, and you, uh, you know, I sort of tried to use the litmus test. But would I, would I use this myself? Um, and usually the answer is, you know, it's, it's okay in moderation, isn't it? I sometimes put bets on things, yeah. like play machines and, you know, things like that are fine in moderation. It's just when it gets out of hand. And, and obviously, you know, some characters have got bigger problems than others on that front. Yeah. The, the other thing, because, uh, you know, when uh, I get people who don't really understand behavioral economics or consumer psychology mm. you know, and they come out with things and they say oh well uh, people are loss averse you know so if we frame things it's like well no they're not sometimes the loss is the motivation you know people yeah. were if people were loss averse then casinos would be empty and nobody would place a bet you know mm. but the anticipation of uh, an unexpected yeah. reward it can be more of a motivator than than uh, you know than the actual reward anyway Right, I'm just going to, because um, we're at, we're just about at our hour. I tell you what, I've totally forgotten to do, which is mm -hmm. I do I do this every time because on these shows we I try and do it like Desert Island Discs, right? Oh, that's hilarious! Great. Yeah, yeah. and I've totally forgotten to do it. We're an hour in, so it's too it's too late now. So maybe we'll do another one and we'll just talk about music. You know, we'll, we'll, yeah. uh, <laughs> it saves me from uh, revealing all my terrible uh, and very dated musical choices, but. Um, you might like a few of them. Yeah, uh, no, but, well, if it's terrible and dated, that probably sounds like what I would like. You know, my, <laughs> I, anything after about 1996, I'm not interested. Apart yeah, from, that, apart from, I've got to say, I've got into some kind of neo-punk kind of stuff lately, like Fontaine's perfect. DC, Sleaford Mods, uh, Mods I, I yeah. quite like, and there's another one, Parquet Courts, really like them. They're more sort of angular new wavy but there seems to be a sort of uh kind of yeah, revival. Of that. yeah everything mm. sounds like 1978 you know, so. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good era 
Um, All right. Uh, just give it, just give us one quick, uh, one more quick story from the book because I love this one and it's it's about pot noodle and uh, Italian acrobats. Uh, I thought this was uh, uh, this, I laughed out loud at this chapter. Oh, that's funny. Uh, thank you. Well, I've got. I'll try not to let this let you down. Basically, <laughs> pot noodle was we um we so we pitched for pot noodle a bunch of years ago. It's a very uh, as I'm sure you sort of all remember from your misspent youth, it was uh, it's a, uh, it's a not very healthy dried noodle brand. It had an amazing heritage of very funny advertising, uh, all of which centered around how easy it is to make. You can make this stuff in four minutes. Yeah. And so the, the advertising sort of strategy had been all about effectively, this is so easy that you'd have, you know, that even a moron can use it, you know. Yeah. And it literally was almost as blunt as that, you know. So, the, the, you know, there was a very famous campaign whose end line, incredibly now when you think about it, was the slag of all snacks, <laughs> uh, which is sort of just quite amazing uh, to hear that today. But the slag of all snacks was their line for a while. And then they had sort of um, various couch potatoes. Um, yeah. You know, sort of floating around on the sofa, and the idea was why try harder was another sort of slogan. So yeah. that was the sort of world, and it was you know incredibly funny in the I guess in the eighties and nineties. You know, perhaps when slacker culture was a sort of a thing, uh, you know, men behaving badly and all the rest of it. Um, but when we researched it with um, eighteen-year-olds um, today, they were sort of really sort of quite turned off by it because I guess they're just much more aspirational now. You know, doing nothing and being lazy is not as Cool as, cool as it was back in our day and these you know kids I suppose grew up in an era when their mates are making you know or people can make a lot of money in their bedroom you know um, uh, by vlogging or starting up their own business you know by the time they're 18 so I think it's just much more sort of pressure to achieve and to aspire and to show off your cool life on Instagram yeah. than obviously it was back in the day so so this whole sort of simple approach was at odds with um, the current sort of zeitgeist. So we're in a bit of a, um, having a bit of a moment when we were absolutely nowhere. We'd had all our work blown up by research and all the rest of it blown up by the client. And I was trying to find sort of a way to get around it. And and it was one of these occasions where, as you say, you can get inspiration from ev everywhere. I started reading about, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. I was looking for a turnaround sort of situation. I could turn this around. And I, that I, in the way that Google search links often happen, you I went from you know, sort of uh, turnaround situations into sporting turnarounds and then into physical turning arounds. And I just kept on reading down little rabbit warrens, sure. rabbit holes. And there was this great story about um, this guy called, um, I think it was Alfonso Barani. Barani was his surname anyway. And he was an Italian acrobat who had perfected this unbelievably difficult um, move called the Barani flip, where mm. he had, he sort of, with his own body, um, strength, his own core strength, he could flip himself from a standing start and uh, be facing in the opposite direction. So it was a 180 degree turn, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. I mean, it's oh, so that's that sort of flip up and then twist around and then yeah, and then around. land in the opposite direction. I mean, yeah. absolute madness. And, and 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 now it's used in things like snowboarding and trampolines and yeah. um, the rest of it. If you watch it on YouTube, it's always prefaced by "Do not try this at home" sort of uh, yeah. uh, warnings. Um, and it's sort of in that weird way that the mind works, it kind of flips something in my brain as well, which was, I wonder if we can use our core strength, which is this simple thing, but do it in completely the opposite way than was uh, previously intended. So instead of saying it's so simple that a couch potato or a moron can use it, why don't we say it's so simple that you can, you know, even the most goal-getting, um, aspirational, amazing people on the planet, um, you know, uh, it's perfect for them because it frees them up to do all the other cool things in life they want to do. Right. Um, so, I mean, it was obviously a stretch and a ridiculous stretch because it's just a bunch of dried noodles, but then we thought we could have some fun with that. So the line mm. that we used to develop that was, um, was you can make it. So you can yeah. literally make it in four minutes, but also you can make it in life. And we did yeah. lots of fun, very tongue in cheek, because we weren't, yeah. you know, we know it's going to turn your life around, but it just presented that brand in such a different light that this new generation loved, sold out of noodles, broke through the hundred million pound barrier for the first time. Yeah. And it turned this kind of um, dirty sort of 
unpleasant snack into something that was cool and culture and modern sure. again. And that, that was through some sort of 100-year-old sort of Victorian acrobat. So <laughs> I, I think the point that, you know, anything can be an inspiration, even if it just, you know, if you forget about it afterwards, you know, it, it's how it, how it gets you to the place that you ultimately want to be. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's allowing those things to just to go into your mind and, and to yeah. see if it sparks. Uh, um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think often uh, reading Dave Trot, you know, I, uh, I, I think, where's he got all this stuff? And then I think, actually, I know he probably just I can just see him sat on his couch watching the History Channel. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and it just all flows in from there, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that you you like um, Bowie, don't you? So yeah, yeah. And he he used to write songs by um, cutting up newspapers, didn't he? And sort of throwing yeah. the bit together, and then just seeing random connections ensued. And again, that can yeah. be a good way. And even if you then sort of move on afterwards, but that can get you started. You know, that's right. It gives you somewhere to to jump from. You know? I, was, I was reading, mm. someone gave me a, a, a book of poems the other day and said, uh, uh, read that. Uh, I'll tell you why they gave it to me in a minute. Not that I really particularly read poetry. But I was reading these poems and I was thinking, this is really strange. I don't understand the, the logic of where this is all going. But the poet, apparently this the method that this poet uses is they pick up like coffee table photography books at random. Uh, mm. and, and then just go through the pictures and like they just write what each picture in the book suggests and that's wow. line. then turn it over then that's the next line then that's the next line and then you get this kind of uh, you know, yeah, fantastic you know. but there's still creativity in that because you yes. know because it could be like a picture of a duck but if it, the line yeah. was just a duck on a pond that wouldn't be very interesting but you have to it has yeah. to evoke something else you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I was going to say about pot noodle as well you know, this is more complaining about Australia. It was only about a year ago you could get pot noodles here. We used to have to get them sent out from the UK, you know. But one, yeah, of, the super, one of the supermarkets has started stocking them in their foreign food section, you know. So it's... Oh, that's great. It's in the delicatessen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exotic. Exotic section, yeah. But you open up the open up the lid and it says you can do it on it. Yeah. So I, I, I knew that. That's like Terence Super, which is sold in um, Italy. If you, you know, go to Italy, I was, I'm always amused by that. It's a very premium imported lager. <laughs> yeah. There, they, of course, they just drink it in sort of little half pint glasses rather than yeah. Uh, like uh, Australian beer, you know, Castle Main Forex. Yeah, which you get in UK. You can't. That's not Australian. You can't buy it here. It's just oh, really. Yeah, it's like pseudo Australian beer made for uh, British market. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Listen. Thank you very much. I know it's getting quite late uh, at your end, so thank you very much for not at all. Thank you. So, do you want to? Um, so, obviously, the book is called "Go Luck Yourself." It's out. Is it out now, or is it still on pre-order? Can you buy it's it? It's still available. It's it's pre-order. You know about this. It's yeah. you know they like they be pre-ordering it now. It's it's not out until a little bit later, sort of beginning of June. Um, but um, it's out in. Uh, on Amazon in Australia and various other places, and yeah. you can order it now. Okay, well, I'll post I'll post links to the pre-order in the sort of show uh, description. Uh, and I guess you know if this is uh, for listeners, if any of this has tickled you, if you have a Google about, there's one or two excerpts uh, or adaptations of bits of the book that are starting to appear online. So there was one in Ad News out here. Uh, last week or the week before, and I think I saw you post another one uh, somewhere one from else. Umbrella. That's right. Yeah. Oh, there's Mumbrella as well. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. So, yeah, obviously getting lots of big props in Australia, uh, and so <laughs> uh, hopefully it does does the same in the UK. So, th so. thanks again, Andy, and. Uh, I think we've got an Aberdeen Celtic double header coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. So um, I think, uh, to, be, to be honest, you're, you're sort of you're clear in second place, so I don't think you need to win those. So I think, uh, yeah, I think you, you should. Yeah, yeah, you just let us have those six points so we can get third. Uh, that sounds about fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. Excellent. Okay, well, you enjoy the rest of your evening and uh, yeah. 
thanks a lot. And then maybe maybe uh, next month or something, we'll, we'll we'll do one of these again. You can give us an update, uh, or or maybe when the book comes out in June, we'll yeah. do another one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can get an update, and we can do the music on that one as well because we've covered a lot of the book topics, so we can talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll come back uh, and we can talk about eighties music. Because, yeah. Uh, that'd be great. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers. Right. Thank See you so ya. much. Cheers, then. Bye. Bye.